Let's begin by turning to First uh, Kings. And I'm going to read the chapter of 19 in First Kings in the Old Testament just to get a bit of flow of what's happening this time. So I'll let you turn there and then we'll get into my message because pretty much it'll take all a bit or more half an hour just because I like to write every word. I need to follow that and the Lord leads and and he and, and thank you for your prayers as uh it is it's a blessing uh, the first Sunday of the month as we can do this in this way and enjoy each other's fellowship. So, chapter 19. Okay, verse 1. I'll just quickly read through to the end of the chapter. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying... So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the one of the one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword and I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimeholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. 
And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shepat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke and oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the meaning of what we've read tonight. Gracious Father, we thank you for thy word and Lord we read of a very wicked and terrible time in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel and yet we see this man of God, Elijah, you've brought onto the scene to do a great work, Lord, and yet we see a great discouragement, a great despondency and despair of a change of circumstance. Help us to see what you are saying to him and to us, Lord, tonight, because uh, sometimes your will is not our way, Lord, and we just pray and ask these things we'll receive a blessing as... We do see your hand at work in this situation and bringing about your purpose, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we should all know chapter 18 quite well, that, 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 um, that wonderful display of God's power in Mount Carmel, but we won't read that. We've just read 19, uh, 19 and... You know, no doubt Elijah had expected that after that wonderful display of God's power that the nation of Israel would give up its idols and would turn to the, to the only true and living God. And uh, had they not, back in 39 of chapter 18, confessed with literally all humility, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. And then what we see is Elijah in all his courage, zeal and triumph as in the whole chapter of... Well, actually, since he started his ministry when he suddenly came on the scene in chapter 17, he trusted that maybe now the heart of Ahab might perhaps be touched and possibly uh, through him touch the heart of his very wicked wife Jezebel who was a... Sidonian princess. She was a Canaanite with a lot of wicked baggage. And uh, Ahab had been reigning, well he reigned we know for 22 years and he was probably as some commentators say the worst of the northern kings. Of the, They're all bad, none of them were good as we know. And he married Jezebel and what his wife was trying to do through him, Jezebel, was eradicate the true religion of Jehovah by killing all the prophets of the Lord. We see that mentioned in verse 13 of chapter 18. And she wanted to promote the vile and cruel false religion of, of Baal worship. And God brings this prophet, all we know in chapter 17, where he's from, we don't know his family or history, but just a tishbite of verse 1 there. And 
he's, he's literally like a lion. And uh, to start the process of eradicating this vile and cru cruel false religion. All right. Now, just to try and get a bit of an appreciation of what he's dealing with and why he is so fervently, um, aggressively against this false religion, they've done some archaeological excavations um, that have proven from this period of time we read around Megiddo, which is right near next to Mount Carmel, pretty much, on, right next to the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. And they found jars from a Baal temple that contained the remains of infants who had been sacrificed in that temple. So what we're seeing, we're seeing um, the, the horrible, horrible nature of Baal worship. And so the prophets of Baal were actually murderers of little children. And we see after this great um, display of God's power in chapter 18, we see in verse 44 of 18, Elijah, when he prayed for rain and God brings rain after three years of drought, he says to Ahab, you know, at the end of 44, prepare thy chariot, get thee down. And he's saying, look, the rain might stop thee. And, you know, he's, and then Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Ahab was so excited that this might have been a, a um, that, you know, Elijah was hoping that this influence that had happened in chapter 18, uh, it couldn't be ignored by Ahab and hopefully the Lord would work through him in him telling his wife what the Lord, what, what Elijah had done in verse 1 of chapter 19 because he even girded up his loins in 46 and ran before Ahab. Remember, he's in a chariot. Elijah's running and he actually got to the entrance of Jezreel before... That's like nearly a miracle there, but you know, like run, he, he he was determined to see this through that, that that this wasn't in vain. The land would be free free again through the hearts of um the, of Ahab and Jezebel being at least allowing and not being so aggressively violent and and wicked and murderous to the. the those who worship Jehovah. And so there is a great anticipated hope. But we see in verse 2, Elijah the prophet finds out that this is not so. And here we have, you might see in the outline as you follow through, the curse by Jezebel, verse 1. And we've read this, but I won't, I'll just read bits and points just to highlight different areas. Now, this death threat that she gave to him, we see. Um, was probably not so terrible as to him as I've just been trying to express the discovery that the Lord's great demonstration through him against Baal was looking to be a failure. And um, so how quickly circumstances in our lives can change. Um, a commentator quotes, he was on the mountaintop of triumph, Mount Carmel, to the Valley of Testing, Valley of Jezreel. What we see from verses 3 and 4 now, Elijah became so despondent, despaired and depressed, he was ready to give up the conflict, even his own life, to quit the battlefield. And he flies literally into the wilderness with his servant. And 
I have, when I say quote means a commentator, quote, in a moment of fear, has Elijah forgot all that God has done for him the previous three years? And so that raises the question, how are the mighty fallen? It is good as we think about this now. The strong are only strong because God has made them so. And I'm going to quickly turn to 1 Corinthians with this thought. The strong are only strong, chapter 1, verse 27, because God has made them so. Verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And yes, God did receive the glory in chapter 18, but he wanted um, to do a work in Elijah, which we're going to see. And so it is only by divine strength, as we've read here, the ordinary can do the extraordinary for God. And we see that through the lives of the disciples also in the Gospels. Their occasional weakness proves that they are naturally as weak as we are and this gives us great encouragement. But we do not from this excuse our own weakness in any way. The Lord God of Elijah is our God also and he can and will sustain us if we humbly cry out to him. So let's look at the comfort, verses 5 to 8, the comfort of the Lord. God knew Elijah's heart and started to deal with his downcast servant by reviving and restoring him to usefulness again. God is in the business of restoration, of restoring us back to himself and uh, in our weakness. So, you know, we've been looking in youth group at Ephesians 5.18 of the importance of continually being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. And verse 19 talks about how to do that in speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And what about, I think of a Psalm 23, 3, this would, could, uh, that of David, that especially for Elijah, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. We see the Lord began refreshing Elijah, refreshing his physical frame as we read there, as we read there before. He was very, um, he, he, in verse 5 and 6, he began with sleep and he, the Lord let him sleep. And then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And so we see food and water also, the physical uh, requirements of regaining physical strength. And then again in 7 and 8, another sleep the Lord allows and a second meal and water. And the servant of the Lord was quite spent. He was very physically exhausted. Remember he had ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel and then when there's bad news, he's run back all the way to, to Beersheba, which is a long way south, and then... Uh, went out into the wilderness from there and he's under a juniper tree. And even today, you know, it's been proven by studies as we have this physical thought that good sleep and a good diet are just as important as good exercise and relaxation. And so God, he made the body. And the body is only as sharp as the mind also. And God 
in, in, in how we feel. See, if the mind is tired, so, you know, our responses will become tired and our reactions. And if the mind is unhealthy, so will become our physical body in defending itself against, you know, disease, disorders, and even we even see death as, like, well, suicide, you know, people, um, if their mind is what we hear today, mentally unstable, uh, and we even see that referred to take away my life, but not he wanted to die. But the Lord who heals his people uh, began in Elijah's case by refresh, refreshing his exhausted physical body, sleep and food. And our Heavenly Father does think of our physical frame. Actually, in the New Testament scriptures, it even refers to the foolish man that we read or the heretic that deliberately habitually practices the neglecting of the body and because they are vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. The pr- their mind is blinded and uh, in, in that fleshly pride. And uh, I read that in Colossians at the end of chapter 2. And yet we know from 1 Corinthians 6.19, wise men value it as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body, which with us also... You know, um, we can we can think what the Lord Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples when they were very exhausted. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And they were sleeping when he said that. And Charles Spurgeon quotes, It is no small thing to get the flesh put in order. The doctor is often as needful as the minister. The Lord gives wisdom to our doctors and the technology of medicine and all that. And uh, we use that to help us physically as well as, as our mind spiritually as, as the preaching of the word. So the confrontation, and this is where the main body of the message is going to be focused around. The man of God has been refreshed by the great physician. The quietness of the wilderness also has helped to calm his mind. Verse 8, Elijah was led of the Lord to... Horeb, which is um, like, I was trying to read about that. It's like the mountain range of where Sinai, Mount Sinai is. Sort of, it's probably, you know, it's very near where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Or we don't know if it was the same mount, but there's a few mountain ranges. But, you know, once there, he's in a cave, we read. Um, okay. And in verse 9, and he settles down and... The Lord, in his time, when he settled there in the cave, began to speak with him. And so we see in that response of Elijah that there are still elements there in verse 10 of that deep sense of failure in the way he responds to the Lord. What doest thou here, Elijah? And, uh, and he, I'll read it. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. See, you'll see the word I used a lot too. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Um, okay, there's elements of pride and elements of some self-pity, and um, as we pick up from this through our own experience too. Ahab and Jezebel and the nation of Israel in Elijah's eyes should have repented didn't happen. 
If we remember Elijah's statement at the end of verse 4 there, can we, for I am not better than my father's. Um, I thought a good quote. God never asked him, that is Elijah, or asked to be better than anybody else, but only to hear his word and obey it. And so the Lord is graciously, mercifully and patiently dealing with his servant. So in verse 11, the Lord asks Elijah to stand outside of the cave. Go forth, stand upon the mount. So that's to go outside the cave basically. But what we see, and we'll look at a little bit more, that he doesn't actually do that straight away. He stays in the cave. But let's move on. We see a tremendous hurricane, a strong wind, literally tear the mountains. And these are solid granite-type mountains. They're not like our mountains with dirt and dust. And These are solid rock, like granite. From the tops, great masses of rocks are brought down. Um, could you imagine the noise, especially inside the cave, just the mountains, you know, rocking from the core of their foundations, being torn with such force. And then the earth gave way beneath his feet. And uh, we read of a great earthquake, and we know there was one in uh, Papua New Guinea, and Ariel was saying that Matthew said it was like being on a boat, literally where they were standing, like in the ocean. They felt a lot of the shock of it. And so, and we can imagine here, nothing is stable, and one strife of extreme of the elements to the next there, and from the earthquake, then in verse 12, a fire displayed like never before heard and seen in all its brightness, in all its... Um, the whole sky lit up, ablaze with the fire of God. And uh, so at the end of verse 12, when the earthquake is ceased and the fire was gone and everything was still again, there was, as the Hebrew calls, a voice of gentle silence, a still, small voice. And this is the heading of our message tonight. A still small voice. Now, I've heard of the statement, the calm before the storm, but not the storm before the calm. I've not heard that, but here it is here. The terrible noise of the wind, the earthquake and the fire were not so terrible to Elijah as the still small voice by which the Lord called his servant near because um, in our first point, we're going to see what it was not. The chosen method. It was not the terrible, obviously, the still small voice. It was not the tremendous. It was not the overwhelming, but something opposite. And it is this which conquered Elijah's heart, his what is a brave heart. And so the question is, what is that that truly wins the human heart to God? It's this is the opposite to the natural man's thinking. Truly wins human hearts to God and, his, and to his son, Christ. And so it is not in the outward extraordinary display of power we see. Men can be made to tremble when God sends pestilence, famine and fire. And others, you know, we've seen in the scriptures and are going to see of his terrible judgments but these things usually end in the hardening of men's hearts and, uh, and not in the winning of them. And we only have to take Pharaoh and what happened to his land and how God actually used that to accomplish his will as his heart was hardened. And so 
These terrible things may get the attention of the divine, but it is the gospel which gently conquers the heart. What is showed to Elijah and us today is that the Lord does not, at this present, choose the terrible way of action. And we th- sometimes we even justify in our own thinking he should on the wickedness of man today. But we must realise and remember there is coming a day in which God shall judge the world in righteousness. And he leaves the terrible things of righteousness and at this present time speaks to men in the silence of their souls, which we understand being the power of God unto salvation through the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see today as we look around and look at what we call places of worship and uh, they are hopeful if they can make a noise and create excitement and stir the emotion that this might attract attention and people. The large numbers that come in are identified then with the presumption that this is the power of God. People are coming. Loud music, they sing equals spiritual power and helps they see it helps desensitize the minds that were once offended at the gospel's arguments and that's good because more people come in if they're not offended of the truth sensational methods are in the simplicity of Christ, sensational methods are in the simplicity of Christ is out if this is right if this is right today well then both men and God have greatly changed in their method. How many hearers in our church today have been impressed, but sadly the Lord has not been in the message or the worship? The work of the Lord itself is done in the secret silence of the heart. This is what God is showing to Elijah individually. And... uh, And this is the purpose of what he's trying to show him. And we'll get to that. So Zechariah 4.6 is something we need, and we know the verse well, we sing it, not by my might, nor by my power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. So what did God use? So we just looked at what it was not, but what did he use? We've already answered that anyway, but those things which attract the poor, This is what God uses. The humble, the meek, the lowly in heart, they that mourn, the simple, those things that are soft, tender, gentle, quiet, calm, peaceful, a still small voice. So what we see here from our text tonight is that There was a display of power, yes, of great physical power in the elements of the wind, the earthquake and the fire. And then we read after each of those, God was not in it. But here, in this still small voice in which there was no display of power, God was doing a great work. And uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. Two verses there, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I seem to go slower when I'm preaching than when I'm practicing. Verse 18 to 19. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 and 19. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Man, as we... As we understand this word reconciliation was originally created by God to be in a relationship of friendship with him, of loving friendship. And we know and understand that we broke that through our sin. But God, who is ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, forsook us not. And I took that from Nehemiah 9.17. And he, as we understand, through his son, by a voice of gentle silence, the gospel is reconciling the world unto himself. And let me read uh, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there we see Christ died. He made him to be sin for us. He bore our sin on the cross. And he was buried. See, the prophet of well, the psalm of David was fulfilled where his body did not see corruption because he was resurrected on the third day. And and he rose again. And that is defeating sin, death, and hell. And so in reconciliation, as we looked at here, you know, the blows, the bolts of tempest, the crashing, the noise of sin was dealt with through our Saviour's suffering and death on the cross. So, we look at how it is wrought in us so quietly through that. How it is wrought in us so quietly. And we understand it's by the Holy Spirit's presence. Softly and gently, Jesus is calling. We, we sing. And that softly and gently is the work of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, there's a beautiful illustration I come across. Even as the first breath of spring, which dissolves the iceberg and melts the glaciers, so it is with the work of the Spirit of God in the soul when he comes to set the sinner free. Now, the Scriptures, the New Testament does show us that the Holy Spirit is involved in both salvation, in drawing us to God through Jesus, and sanctification. The Holy Spirit, as we understand from Acts chapter 2, the fulfilled promise of the Comforter that came in the beginning of the early church, he does, when he wills, can be a rushing mighty wind. But this, we know, was the beginning of the work of the Holy Spirit in understanding that. But he descends now to bring to the soul of man quietness, the peace of God and all gentleness. And it, it's talked in the scriptures in the New Testament about the peace of God that passes all understanding can only be through him. Now, Satan can set our soul on fire with agony, doubts and fears and terror, but the Spirit comes in tenderest love, revealing Christ, the cross, forgiveness and salvation. So those that refuse and reject God's love, as in the Messianic Psalm of Psalm 2, verse 9, God will break as with a rod of iron dashing them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now, the still small voice within the conscience is God's chosen instrument to convert and comfort the souls of men. And, and man can choose to ignore that still small voice and become hardened to it and, and not hear it anymore even. So the chosen method, let's look at the cause and effect. That is the cause and effect of this method the Lord is using on Elijah Sowing and reaping. The first effect we read upon Elijah is he wrapped his faith in his sheepskin mantle there in verse 13 and went outside the cave and now he's being obedient. He's going out. He was asked before to go out, but now he is because he was subdued and conquered by this soft, tender touch. Elijah did his best to hide his face like one that is ashamed, wrapped his face there in 13, of having doubted his God, ashamed of having run away like a coward, ashamed of being found away from the place of his service. This is the real fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, is it not? This is what leads to true repentance, shamefacedness and humbling. As we know, the verse in Psalms 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, Elijah is now resolved, we're seeing, to follow his Lord's word at once. God's grace makes us tender in the matter of obedience. Now, if the Spirit of God is being allowed to control our lives, um, yes, while we are humbled, because of sin, we shall desire more and more hope Lord in the Lord humbling to to work the work of righteousness. That should be our desire even. And and, and just in understanding through some examples in scripture, um, we have humbly heard the voice of the Lord who you know, they cry out, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We we know that's the Apostle Paul in Acts nine. And then what about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? Here am I, send me. When that voice wins the willing ear, it creates a ready foot to go where God bids them. And, you know, we sing the old hymn. I was just thinking of this, so I just wrote it down. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. We sing that, but um, I'll, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll, look, I'll sail over mountain and sea and... Our desire, as we're often reminded in Scripture, is to, is to know the Lord's will for our life and promptly to fulfil it. And, and there's a quote, For the heavenly whisper is, follow me. And we read that in the Gospels. It is always good to get some clear air. So he's doing that, coming outside the cave, getting some fresh air, as we're thinking again physically now as the Lord ministers spiritually and now Elijah is out of the cave the next effect upon him is that he is actually restored having personal dealings with God again and at the end of 13b the question is asked what doest thou here Elijah and again he says exactly the same of what he said in verse 10 but the Lord is patient and um Elijah definitely, okay, we, we, we just feels that force of um, every word that, you know, searches his heart and thoughts. Then now being one-on-one -on -one with the Lord as an individual, 
because this is the, where the Lord wanted him and, and wants him to get in, get Elijah in that mindset because he was used to slaying big numbers of wicked prophets of Baal and um, pronouncing judgment on the whole nation because of their idol worship uh, of drought and all that. He was used to working and wanted to see big results. But God is going to prove something to him as we get down. Elijah pours out, again, verse 14, the bitterness of his grief. And uh, But here we see it, you know, it's in an aspect of we can cast all our cares upon him, knowing that his God does really care for him. Praying expressively in secret um, is, is the beauty of how we can know that still small voice personally. As we read the word of God, um, quietly uh, make that disciplined um, habit of coming to moments where it becomes real personal and, 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 and things you really stand out. That's the still small voice speaking to us. And you write that verse down. You try and memorize it even so you can quote it in a prayer or share it with others. And, uh, and so we know the spirit at those times. And we know it should be more often than not. But we know it, that is... Um, and even Jim Berg wrote a book, Quietening a Noisy Soul, of all the distractions, uh, of all the... Every day we've got circumstances changing in our life that are not the way we'd like. And, it's, and we need to be able to maintain that disciplined, um, quiet... Um, moments with the Lord and so he can speak to us the way he spoke, he's speaking to Elijah now so the conflict, the third point the conflict understood Elijah as we now see over his ministry um, he's looking hopefully the, the ministry of the last three years as a prophet of God and it has yes it, one has been very practical he was a very practical and, and the Lord is trying to because um, he was trying to Elijah, he was he taught the people by his deeds, by his actions, by being faithful and 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 patient as the Lord was dealing with them through the drought and um and and other things there and through the that chapter eighteen, the great victory there over the prophets of Baal. But um so now we see the Lord instructing him similar. And see, God does not always, in our outline, use the means which we suppose he will use. And Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and we looked at verse 6 and 7 this morning about seek ye the Lord. And, and as we go through that verse, God will pardon the true repentant sinner. He promises to do that if they truly repent. But in verse 8 and 9 of 55, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So um, as we think of that, what we do know is that Carmel, with its complete victory over Baal's priests, uh, priests, and you know, we know that brook at the bottom there ran red, and Elijah himself with the sword was there, killing the those wicked prophets. and But it was not the way God is trying to explain to him, even though with that victory it was so successful, it's not the way that he wants to destroy and finish that whole um, 
false religion or um, destroy this enemy, even though he had called him to do that initially, um, just by using one man, Elijah. So what we see the Lord now as we go on in the chapter, after the Lord, okay, has fully restored the prophet back to full service and he is now with that mindset There's a task to commission others, starting with verse 15, to go return to the wilderness to finish the job. Like, um, thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. This is a Gentile king. And the still small voice convicted Elijah to obey what God told him to do. And it didn't happen straight away, but Jehu was anointed king in 2 Kings. We see that. And he did finish destroying the prophets of Baal if you want to read in 2 Kings 10.28 he finished he, he never as being a northern Israel king he didn't turn his heart to the Lord though like he should have but he did accomplish that will of God and God will work by what means he pleases as we see even using the wicked to accomplish his will and God says like to Elijah without me you can do nothing and All means of whatever it is are useless apart from him. And see, the arm of flesh, so easily and habitually drawn on that we tend to rely upon the arm of flesh, it will drown out the still small voice of God. And so we miss the the, literally the bare arm of the eternal displayed in our midst. God would have us to know, and Elijah to know that, that our weakness may be our strength. In verse um, 18 and here it sort of explains this is where it really hits Elijah because yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him see Elijah did not know anything about these 7,000 faithful scattered up and down the country whom God had blessed through Elijah's testimony and the silent voice of what was his devoted life during those three years affected, we see, um, at least many of these 7,000 um, who were living a devoted life to Jehovah. The Lord would have us know that he works rather by our weaknesses than by our strength. So the greatest power and impact was on his individual testimony that he didn't even know about. And on this note, we can see the strength of other people. And this is where it becomes more humbling in their weakness, as it's outlined on your notes there, as we would seek literally to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 3, B. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, the Lord sought to teach Elijah and us as well that there are others as weak as ourselves. And, you know, that probably makes us glad, but there are others also as strong as us whom God makes strong because they are weak, dealing with them in his tender loving kindness just as he does with us. And if they are willing to listen and obey the still small voice, well, they will receive the blessing even more than us. And we need to, that's why we're so encouraged to edify one another, encourage one another in this. It's it's not, 
And the natural man can't do that. It has to be the Spirit of God controlling that situation to do that. And in concluding, God deals with us as individuals as he has here with Elijah. And the majority of the Lord Jesus' ministry was dealing with individuals, as we see, his disciples. Even the woman like the woman at the well, Nicodemus. You know, many of the miracles. The Lord Jesus could have gone to Mount Hermon or one of the, or one of the big, and, and healed everyone on the same day. But he didn't. He wanted to deal with them as individuals in dealing with them personally and show his love as an individual. And Elijah, on a grand scale, wanted to eradicate wickedness dealing with the nation. He wanted to deal with the whole. And he wanted to deal with all the rest of the prophets of Baal um, and the idol worshippers. But God wanted to use Elijah to call other individuals, as we see, from verse 15, to accomplish his will, not using him. And so he had another work to do, and this is the work he didn't see, and that's what we need to be aware of. And uh, Elijah learned. And when he, we'll see the reaction when he learns and hears the voice of God so powerfully that those 7,000 individuals were powerfully affected to full obedience to God by the still small voice of God through his... Um, testimony, we see him going straight away and finding Elisha and working with him as an individual. And we see the great work that was accomplished um, in Second Kings through that obeying. So um, do we hear his voice? Now, softly and gently, Jesus is calling, uh, calling you home if you're not saved, if, 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 if you know you have a lot of chaos and confusion or depression or um, the Lord even talks about um, come unto me all ye that labour and heavy laden I will give you rest and and, and those that, of us that are serving or desiring to serve um, how we need to serve individuals around us first um, as we the Lord humbles us through that and that's not easy and that's such a it wasn't easy for Elisha, I'm sure, and it took to all this to get him to this point. So may the Lord bless you today through his Holy Spirit.